Welcome back, good people, to another episode of the No Good People podcast, where no topic is ever off limits, and I have the best seat in the house. I'm your host, Vera Smith-Winfrey, and today's guest is the CEO and founder of Folk and Palette Bakery and her own TV show, The Power of Food, a DC-based food media company and bakery that informs, inspires, and bakes in between, while seeking out the connection between the human story and the power of food. She and her son traveled to talk to people about how food has impacted their lives. So join me today in wel- welcoming my guest, Chenja Young. Hi, Chenja. Hello, Vera. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks so much for being part of the No Good People family. I'm glad of you're here. Of course. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. Well, let's get to it. Um, where were you born and raised? And tell us about your family, your education, your growing up. Definitely. I was born in D.C. Um, I lived in right outside of D.C. for maybe, I don't know, about the first 10, 12 years of my life or so. Um, About 10, 15 minutes outside of the city limit in Fort Washington. And then we moved back into the city, like hovering right around those high school years Mm -hmm. and pretty much stayed here most of my life, except for when I moved to Los Angeles um, for grad school, but we'll get to that. (laughs) Um, But my childhood, I mean, I was the only child. I always felt kind of lonely, you know, I I was the kid. I always wanted like five brothers for whatever reason. It was five (laughs) brothers. I never wanted sisters. Maybe I just felt the need to always kind of be protected. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I grew up with my mom and my dad, but I just thought that was so cool when girls had all these brothers, you know? Mm -hmm. So needless to say, I'm still the only child. My mother was like, okay, forget that kid. You are not (laughs) getting a brother or sister. So I was, you know, kind of the kid that was always kind of going around the neighborhood, riding my bike, kind of looking for people. (laughs) Seriously, just kind of looking for people. But I always managed to like find a decent group of folks to hang out with. So it, it wasn't too bad. And I longed for you know, the family connection because my parents were from the South. My parents are both Mm -hmm. from Birmingham, Alabama. They came up during the end of the great migration in the uh, the late sixties. That was like the tail end of the great migration for African-Americans. And they, like many others came up because the government went all over, especially down South to recruit kids out of high school. Mm -hmm. And they worked for the FBI. Um, So because we were, it was really just us, like my parents, of course, they, they had, they got this group of friends that, you know, that eventually would become my aunts and my uncles and Mm -hmm. all of that. But as far as blood, all of the blood was on my mom's side, still down South and on my dad's side, still down South or either out mainly on the West coast in California and a few up North in Detroit. But, um, but I always kind of missed that. So when I was in school as a kid, I vividly remember hearing people say, kids say, oh, I'm going down South to go see my grandparents or go mm-hmm. see my cousins. Or, and we would do that sometimes, but I, it stopped at an early age because by the time I was 12, all of my grandparents had passed. Okay. So once I, and that was like around middle school. So I'm still hearing kids like, oh, we going down, you know, to North Carolina or, Alabama or Georgia to go see my cousins and all this. And 
really when my grandparents passed away, those trips down to Birmingham kind of ceased, you know? So I always, mm-hmm. I always missed that as a kid. And when I think about it now, it's kind of interesting that I even really conceptualized that or thought of it, but, but I vividly remember missing that and, and longing for that. But um, I mean, but still, you know, I still had a great, a great childhood. I, the friends that I made in high school, they're my sisters still to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to high school. I went to Howard University for undergrad, HU. Um, I love Howard. It was a place where it just, Howard University kind of just gave me this place of belonging, this place of hmm. like birth. Like it, it's really hard to explain, um, but it kind of, like birthed me into the world. It gave me specific viewpoints through classes and through the professors and mm-hmm. through the people that I met there. It was just, it's just this interesting place to attend um, school. And it's very different if people don't know. Um, of course, Howard is right in the middle of DC, uptown. Mm-hmm. It's in Northwest, um, right off Georgia Avenue. And, but it's nothing like DC. It is a completely different place. It has its own unique vibe, its own unique um, heartbeat. Everything is different. And, you know, being a Washingtonian, you kind of expect it to speak Mm -hmm. DC, but it's not. Um, And I appreciated that so much, this unique place where you could kind of find yourself and you could be in a class with professors that not just understand you and not just trying to get you on the right track, but really trying to get you to understand where you came from. Like mm-hmm. so many mm-hmm. people have walked those halls. It's just, it's such a pride, you know, and the the older I get, I'm 44 now. And that was, I was at Howard between 94 and 98. And the older I get, I just appreciate that institution even more. Um, so I was at Howard. I, I did my undergrad in, you won't believe this criminal justice, right? Really? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I did my undergrad in criminal justice. I minored in Spanish. Here's the funky thing I was one of these kids that could never really figure out what I wanted to do. Like, I always had a list and I always kind of ebbed and flowed in between so many different things. I remember at one point I was going to leave because I wanted to be a fashion designer. And then at another point, I said, okay, well, I'm going to major in criminal justice because I want to also study the psychology of the criminal mind and mm. like all this crazy stuff. But if I go a little bit back before my college years, there was one career out of all of the many careers I kind of popped in and out of that I really, really wanted to do. And even to this day, I kind of think about, and that is to be a fighter pilot. Um, I actually, at a very young age, I remember having posters of F-14s and F-15s, F-16s all in my bedroom. And I was captivated, literally captivated by flight. 
the few times that we would go out of town that we would fly sometimes we would fly to cali to see family or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i remember we didn't travel a lot but this one trip we went to cali we went to hawaii on the same trip and we drove to mexico it was the greatest time of my life i remember this trip like it was yesterday and i remember being on the plane thinking this is amazing like we can sit up here on this plane thousands of feet up in the air and just like chill and do whatever you want to do. But it was just so cool to me that we were in the sky. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember when I realized that I wanted to be a fighter pilot, I come from a family of pilots, believe it or not. My dad's brother, my uncle, um, who's not with us any longer, but Uncle David, he was a bomber pilot. And then later on in his life, in his career, he became a commercial pilot. Thanks to Uncle David, I flew my first class flight to Rome (laughs) (laughs) because of like a buddy pass that happened by fluke. But anyway, so I remember going to this family reunion and I said, hey, Uncle David, I know what I wanna be. And he was like, well, what do you want? What do you wanna do? And I said, I wanna be a fighter pilot. And he said, okay, you can be a fighter pilot. And he said, but remember you have to be good at math. I said, okay, now Vera, here's what my uncle did not know. Because again, my uncle lived in at the time he lived in California. Um, and I remember when he told me that my heart sank because I knew I sucked at math. I was terrible at math. And I told myself when he, he said that to me, I would never be a fighter pilot. I didn't even try. I didn't try. I didn't say, okay, I'm going to work harder in math. I'm going to get whatever kind of tutor I need. I'm going to tell mom and dad. That dream was birthed and died right in my mind after I told him. And I never said, you know, I'm not good in math. What do I do, uncle? I just said, okay. And I just dropped it. So anyway, I when I, that was a very, um, it was a, a lesson that you probably took from that, from there, that point forward, correct? Yeah, it was definitely a lesson. And, but I, you know what? I don't think I realized it then. I think mm-hmm. as a kid, a lot of times we don't chuck up a lot of this stuff as lessons. It's just kind of something that happens and we kind of tuck it away and forget about it. Mm-hmm. But then as you get older, you know, you kind of, things resurface. They have a funny way of resurfacing, right? Mm-hmm. So, like I so back at Howard, you know, on Howard's campus up on Georgia Avenue, walking up 4th Street Northwest, going to class on the yard and all that good stuff. I left that dream behind and I know now the power of dreams. I know now the power of really going for something that you want to go for, even though you don't feel that you're necessarily good at it, you mm-hmm. know, just mm-hmm. working through it and, and going for it and all of that good stuff. And that's what I didn't do with that dream. But it's so interesting how things panned out. So, you know, I'm up at Howard and I'm thinking, okay, let's get this degree done. Let's get on with life. So I finished Howard again with the bachelor's in criminal justice. Still haven't used it to this day. Minor in Spanish. <laughs> I have used my Spanish some. I am a lover of languages, cultures, and food. And we'll definitely get to that. Um, so I will say that those things that have made me who I am today were, were those seeds were being planted. I just didn't realize it. Um, even on that trip that I spoke of a moment ago, when we mm-hmm. flew out to Los Angeles, we drove to Mexico, 
I remember driving to Mexico and my parents, they're so open. Like they were just eating everything. And I was a picky eater as a kid. Like I, I didn't eat anything. I could outlast anybody. So if you tell me you're going to sit there for hours until that plate is clean, oh, I could outlast you. <laughs> I mean, like nobody's business. I could sit there for six hours. Eventually I'm going to wear you down. But I was a very picky eater. But I remember when we were in Mexico, my parents were just eating everything. My mom was like, oh, you want to try this? You want to try I was like, uh-uh. Give me anything that's packaged. So for that whole trip, I ate chips out of a bag. I ate ice cream out of a bag. And I remember watching my parents just having the best time, just trying everything. And oddly enough, I'm the complete opposite now. But again, that's like this thing called life. That's how, you know, you start off in a certain mm -hmm category or box or a certain feeling or having certain outlooks on things and your experiences change those. So these are little things that, that were kind of plopped in my memory bank, like me wanting to become a fighter pilot, completely giving up on it and having the mentality now that I don't give up on anything. Um, me being, traveling with my parents in Mexico, seeing them try anything Anything and everything and me being unwilling to try things. And now I'm very much the opposite. But these little things happen way back when and they're just beginning to come to surface. So when I when I left Howard, you know, I was kind of, you know, it was the late 90s. The goal really was just to get a job, get a job, right, you know, right. get a job, get a good salary, you know, get married. I was still dating um, the guy that I was dating in my senior year in high school, I ended up marrying. We were still married. We had two kids, um, two boys. And so that was really kind of my life. I was married in 99, had my first, my oldest son, Kevin Jr. in 99. We had our youngest, Sion, in 2004. He was born in Los Angeles because at that point, you know, I worked a couple different jobs, still didn't know what I wanted to do, Vera. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, mm -hmm. I was just one of those people. And I always wished I was, you know, one of those people that just knew what they wanted to do. Um, but I wasn't. So, I, you know, I was a legal secretary for a while. I worked with Capital One for a while. Um, you know, all the solicitations for credit cards you get in the mail, oh, yeah. I worked mm -hmm. with the department that created those. So if you had green foil on yours, I was the person that was <laughs> working with the team that decided that. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I was going back and forth through these jobs. And, and I remember I was at work one day. This was as a legal secretary downtown D.C. on 17th Street Northwest. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And I said, but what do you want to do? The only thing I knew that has kind of stayed with me. I knew I loved languages. I knew I loved traveling. I knew I loved learning about, about people and culture. So I had this brilliant idea. I'm going to get a master's in international relations. It just seemed like it fit. So I said, okay, let me start looking at some schools and I will you know, figure out which one to apply to. Well, my, my dear friend of mine, she was like, have you ever thought about USC, University of Southern California? I was like, no. I was like, but Cali, heck yeah. So I remember looking at the campus. I mean, you know, just calling and getting information, reading through this mm -hmm. information. Went through the long process, decided to go for a double master's international relations with public administration because I just figured it would make me more well-rounded. Right. Talked to my husband. He was like, 
okay, we're moving to Southern California. I was like, <laughs> yeah, if we can. So that's kind of what, that's kind of what we did, you know, and a lot of kind of crazy things happened in between all of that, but we made it, we left DC, we moved out there. We had our second son out there. Actually, he was born my first semester in school and, um, you know, just lived that life out there. I had a lot of family out there. So it was, it was always like a second home anyway, um, within where well, we live right in South Central off of Western and Slauson. And within that radius, we probably had I don't know, at least 20, 25 family members roughly. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. I mean, that, that time of my life gave me what I wanted as a kid, you know, mm-hmm. because, right, because kid, you had the family, it, you had the connection, yeah. you had the yeah. support that you needed. Right. Right. So it was, we loved it, you know, and were we you dropped, a full-time student at the time. I was a full-time student. Um, okay. My husband um, found different jobs out there until he was able to get into the union and I went to school full-time, you know, I worked um, part-time at the school and I had temp jobs here and there, but I, I was always full-time student. And that was a wonderful time. That was between 2004 and 2000. And I graduated in 2007, took me three years. And by 2000, here's a crazy thing. That's when the crash happened, right? Mm-hmm. And right around 2007, I remember it took me a couple of years to find a job. And I was really depressed. I remember that time. And it was, that was tough. That was really tough because, you know, you're going through, you feel like when you get these, okay, I have two master's degrees now. Who is not going to hire me? Right. Um, no, right. Very much so. You know, but it, oh, it was tough. It was so tough. And at that time, my goal was to work in foreign service. Well, guess what? It, it just wasn't meant to, for me. Before I even started that degree, I took the foreign service exam and I didn't pass. They don't tell you what you get. You don't you know, know how bad you fail. They just say you pass or fail. That was when I was still in DC. So I figured, okay, I'm gonna give this another shot, right? Give it another shot. This was maybe like 2007, 2008, I think. And I studied, you know, you study for months for the foreign service exam. And guess what? I didn't pass again. I said, you know what? I'm not taking this test again. And I was done with it. And I remember I told myself, you're not supposed to give up after the whole fighter mm-hmm, pilot mm-hmm. dream, right? But I didn't take it again. And, but I did land a job back in DC working in international development. And I worked on projects mainly throughout Africa. And so I did some work in West Africa, largely in um, Sierra Leone. So I had to go out there for a project um, for some other um, internships and whatnot. I did some work in East Africa, but the development role and the, the development world, I just felt like I stopped believing in it. Like I knew that there were great people in the field. Mm-hmm. I knew mm-hmm. that we had wonderful people doing great work, needed work, important work, but I would see these invoices and I would see the amount of money that was being spent with these contracts from USAID. And I'm like, there's gotta be a way to touch more people with this amount of money that we're spending. It, I couldn't grapple it. You know, I couldn't grasp the enormity of these projects. And I just felt like enough wasn't being done. It just didn't correlate with the amount of money being spent. And I just still felt 
unfulfilled, unsatisfied. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At this point, it's 2010. I'm sitting yet in another job that I'm miserable in. I've moved my family from DC to LA back to DC. My husband the whole time has been a trooper. And I'm thinking, I still am not happy. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I remember sitting down one day and I was thinking, if I could do anything, if you could do anything, what would it be? What would it be? And that, and that day, that specific day in September, 2010, I realized it would be something with food, but specifically baking. And that's where everything that you see now with Folk and Palette has derived from. And ever since that day in September, 2010, sitting in that cubicle that I was just sick of sitting in, that's where everything started. That's when the started, idea was born. That's when the idea was born. And I, you know, I just dove in. I, I remember I left that job. I worked for free at, you know, various bakeries in DC. One um, specifically, um, I worked under Chef Tiffany McIsaac. She's still, you know, I'm still in touch with her today. I was slow. I didn't know what I was doing. She just gambled on me and, you know, just let me work and just learn. And that's what I needed. You know, I needed to get up at four something in the morning, get to the bakery at five um, and just just start somewhere to to figure out whether or not this is what I wanted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I worked under her for a little while for just a couple months. And, you know, I moved on to work at other places where I was getting paid, but of course that stuff wasn't paying the bills. And then I went back into the regular quote unquote workforce um, where I worked with chambers of commerce. But even during that time that I worked there, I never really stopped the whole baking thing. The baking thing, once that day happened in September of 2010, the baking thing has never left my soul. Um, I just never gave up on it. I never gave up on that. And I just became more in love with the field. I loved, um, I just loved how food brought people together. I love how food brought memories back to me from childhood. I love mm-hmm. talking to my family and talking to random people about people in their lives and what they cooked and why they cooked it and how they cooked it. I love stopping people in the grocery store, asking them, what the heck is that in your cart? And what are you doing with that? And the food thing just literally all but consumed my life. Um, and I couldn't shake it. I just couldn't shake it. And I remember I decided, um, you know, I started this little bakery thing on the side. I would go to different farmers markets in DC and, you know, and that, you know, it never really turned into what I wanted it to turn into, but it was still one of those beginning steps. It's like you, you can't get anywhere without taking these beginning steps, right? Mm-hmm. You sure can. So, so well, that's kind of what it was. Yeah. Well, tell me why the name Folk and Palette. Yeah. So Folk and Palette came about because all I wanted to do when I created Folk and Palette was talk to people. I didn't care who you were. I didn't care your gender. I didn't care your sexual preference. I didn't care your political view. I I just want to talk to anybody and everybody about food. So Mm -hmm. folk, the people, and palate, your palate. Um, So folk and palate, that's how that name was born. Um, And that was really the whole mission. I wanted, I always wanted it to be a show. 
I wanted to travel anywhere and everywhere and talk to anyone who was willing to talk to me about how food impacted their life. Mm-hmm. How did the power of food show up? And it didn't matter if they were a chef or in the culinary world. I didn't care. Still don't care. If you are great, if you aren't great. Um, but I know that food has that power because it gave me that voice. Food gave me something that I was looking for that I couldn't, you know, I I, I just couldn't really figure out who I was. I, I, I couldn't. And as much as we would like to say that, you know, oh, I know who I am and this is me and, and I stand for this. Mm. I, I think it goes so much deeper than that. And I could not find Tinja. And I was able to find me through food. So that's, that's how I came up with the name Folk and Palate. People and our palates, what we eat, the food that creates us, the food that makes us. And brings people together. Yeah, yeah. And how do you choose your guests and your locations? And where have you been so far? Well, you know, that's completely by fluke. Well, of course, you know, the, the famous phrase or beginning of a sentence is during COVID. But, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I couldn't really man- maneuver the way I wanted to. So I just did everything via Instagram Live. Um, initially, my first like 14 interviews were all Instagram Live. Some were people that, you know, as I've been on this journey, I, I've, I've, how do you say it? I have, they say that you need to create a group of people in this world, right? So I have like these food sisters, these food friends that, you know, you can complain about other entrepreneurs, other like-minded people. They aren't necessarily doing the same thing, but they have this love of food. Mm -hmm. My food Mm -hmm. tribe. Um, So some have been the women in this food tribe. Some have been people that they know. Some have been people that they know know. So it kind of just started out as a small little group and then these tentacles kind of begin to reach out and some of their leads lead to an interview and sometimes they don't or sometimes their leads might lead to someone else um so i'm not super particular about who i pick the the only the only prerequisite truthfully is that they're willing to be open about their journey um, because if someone just says, you know, Hey, yeah, I love baking with my grandma, baking cookies. And that's all they can tell me. And that's not much. Right. I right. Right. Really, you know, be able to open up and feel empowered in their story. So when other people hear it and see it, they will then be inspired by mm-hmm, their story. Mm-hmm. So there's power in it. Um, just like there's power in food. And even though all of these people, like I said, are not in the food world, in some way, shape or form, food has created or molded them. Um, So yeah, it it really is by fluke how these people come about sometimes. And I'll travel pretty much anywhere so far. So, you know, we did our first 14 shows via Instagram Live. Mm -hmm. This past May, we were able to start filming like true production to really create a show and that show was shot in Tupelo Mississippi of all places um we shot that show in May we shot our second show throughout Brooklyn in July um our next show will probably be shot around the end of August locally in the DMV area and that first show um that was shot in Tupelo 
it's in post-production now, so we should launch next. The, actually, wow, it's August. It's going to launch in a couple weeks. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Our That's first exciting. Show, yeah, it is exciting. Our first show, show is going to launch in a couple weeks. So it's, it's a lot. I mean, it's so much that goes into it. Uh, some of it I know. A lot of it, Vera, I don't know. It, it's just that I, what I do know is this. I know that there is a power of food. Mm-hmm. I've seen it in my life. And I've seen it in the lives of other people. Initially, when I started this, I was thinking, okay, I hope this isn't just me. I hope I don't just sound crazy. But, <laughs> you don't you know, sound you, crazy you, at all. <laughs> you know, you kind of wonder, you know, because I can go on and on about a cucumber or something random. And sometimes, like even my family, they're like, okay, um, Tenja, can we move on from this? But there is something there. And when I talk to people and I hear, I hear their stories, first of all, the fact that they're willing to share with me is amazing mm-hmm. in and of itself. Because most of the time, I don't know these people. I might know them through someone, but I've never met them a lot of times. So just the, the feeling of trust that we're able to gain between mm-hmm. ourselves is, is really a, a cool thing. Um, so yeah, that, that's really folk and palette. Um, the, the name of the show is The Power of Food, and it's launching um, in a couple of weeks, the first episode. We're supposed to launch an episode every month, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. We're just, I'm just riding with it and you know, kind of seeing where this, this ship sails. And when you chose that location or that guest, what was it about that person, like in Tupelo or in Brooklyn? The interesting thing about Tupelo, which is largely the part of the reason why I decided to go down there is that it was so, it was so diverse beyond my dreams. Um, When Lauren told me about this, I know that Toyota had recently opened a plan or um, some offices there. So there was definitely an influx of Japanese families moving there. Mm -hmm. And she was, conversing with these women and like I believe this was just via email they wanted to learn to cook some of the local food well Lauren was like because Lauren is just I mean you talk about southern hospitality that that is her in a nutshell but she was like sure just come over and we'll cook what Lauren didn't realize was that they didn't speak that much English and she said Tendra we were I was trying to give this cooking class but but even while I was giving the class I realized that the language barrier didn't even matter it wasn't even important because we were able to communicate through food. And then that's how cooking as the first language was born. It's just amazing to me. And the bridges that she's building and the connections that she's building, it just, it's just a cool thing to me. Yeah, so, and I would have never thought that about Tupelo, um, like at all. Like I have a really good friend who is uh, in Tupelo, shout out to my friend, Lewis Conley um, and his wife. But I never would have thought, um, you know, that such, I don't know, such culture would be there, you know, just in listening to you talk about yeah. it, it yeah. seems such a place like I should put this on my, on my, uh, my top 25 places to visit. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it was certainly a find. Lauren was so, and, and honestly, this was still, like I said, we went there in May. So we're still in COVID now. So we were definitely in it then. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like, you know, Tendra, we can take precautions. We can take our temperature. We'll like do all the things that we can do. 
Um, but she was like, I'm definitely open if you're willing to travel down here. So we just, you know, we took the road trip down there and, and we did it. And it's just, you know, a part of this is that with all of the social things that are going on right now, and I think I've spoken with you briefly about this. I had myself as an African-American woman, I battled between whether or not folk and palette would just represent us people in the diaspora mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or if I wanted to be inclusive and I realized that I want to include everyone it's not my platform just to be focused on the diaspora because I feel that I would I just feel that I would be doing a disservice because mm. I know that there are things that we can learn and glean from one another and also again when we talk about like all of these social issues have been happening. I mean, we, we haven't been living in a bubble, most of us. Um, they've been happening before I was here, way before mm -hmm. I was here, and they will probably unfortunately still happen when I leave this earth. But what I do know is that for myself, just for my own um, frame of mind, my own health, my own, what do you call it? Just belief in people. I needed to believe in people. I need to believe that just because you don't look like me, you still care. You still, um, that there are still good people out here. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to believe that. I can't just put an entire group of people in one box and just be against so much when I know that there is good. And I know that the more we talk, the more dialogue that there is, the more we break bread together, the more we share our stories. I, I have to believe that through food, that this can be somewhat of a better place. And I believe that the power of food is a stronger medium than most people give it credit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's so very true. I, yeah. So I had to, I don't know. I just had to keep everything open um, for myself and for people listening, because I do believe and I want to believe that in most cases, people are good. Mm -hmm. You know, I know it kind of sounds wishy-washy, but I, I have no, to believe that. No, it doesn't. I mean, yeah. I think that I'm of the mindset that I like to give people the benefit of the doubt um, right. because I feel like most people deserve that. Mm -hmm. um, now, I do know that you also work with your son in your production and yeah. filming. Um, yeah. How did that come about? And this is your youngest son? Is no, this is my oldest. This is oh, my oldest. Okay. He is, um, he's actually studying at West Virginia University right now. Um, this is Kevin Jr. Um, and this kid, <laughs> wow, it just, it just makes me smile. Um, he's always been artistic. Always from mm -hmm. the time that he was younger. And while in school, I feel like such a bad mom kind of, because I don't remember the name of his degree, but I do know what it entails. Um, it entails almost everything art, art, media, electronic media, videography, photography, um, even to pastels and, and paint. Like he's doing this, he's created this degree that is so him, so uniquely him, but he loves video. He loves the power of the image and he's creating who he wants to be. You know, he's creating the, the artist that he wants to be. And I figured 
there's nobody else that I would trust, you know, with what Fulcum Palette is trying to do than, than my son. So I remember we would have these conversations and I was like, hey, do, do you want to do this? Like, I, I got to go to um, um, travel down to Tupelo. Do you want to kind of be part of Fulcum Palette and, and travel with me and, you know, capture, do everything, like be a full-fledged production company <laughs> because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anything about media. So I'm leaning on him. He's 21 and I'm leaning on this kid. And, you know, when we would, when we have to make travel arrangements and details, because again, he's in Morgantown, West Virginia, I'm here in DC. And I'm like, okay, let's look at our dates. Let's look at your schedule. Let's look at school, see how we can figure this out. I'm like, kid, I can't Mm -hmm. do this without you. I cannot do this without you. And I remember the first, our first trip down to um, Tupelo together. And we, we brought his little brother too, because we figured he could help with carrying Mm -hmm. stuff or something. anything, you know, just expose kids to any and everything and they'll pick up on things. But um, so we drive down to Tupelo and I remember we were getting ready for the show with Lauren and he was like just going over all of his equipment, making sure he had everything, telling his brother what he wanted him to carry and, and hold and make sure he had this. And he's going over this list. I remember taking this picture of him while he's going through everything. And then he wanted to tell, go over with me, like, mom, like what type of imagery do you want to capture? How do you want to do this? And what we did everything at her local church, they have on this huge kitchen there. And I remember he was, I don't know if he calls it scouting. He has all these specific terms and I don't really know what it is, but he was, he was determining the path that he wanted us to walk. And he wanted us to walk down a certain street because of the angles and because of the imagery. And there was some um, artwork or murals on some of the walls. So he's scouting out all of this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to capture in the video. And I remember watching him just feeling so full of joy. You know, like it's a different relationship when, you, when you're a mom versus when you're working with your child. Yeah, yes. It's, it's very, very different. And Again, I don't know anything about media. I kind of know what I want to see. I think I do when I look at the the version of the show, but I don't necessarily know how to obtain that. And I want him to feel free to, one, develop himself as an artist and develop his style. And I'm okay with him doing that through through this, you know, um, we're both learning. So we talk all the time. I'm like, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. We don't have $200,000 plus in equipment. We This is not some huge production that we're spending a million dollars on or $500,000 on. I mean, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. bare minimal and I mean, bare minimal. Um, so as long as we get the content, as long as we capture the people, we capture the story, we have great content, the production will get better. You will get better. You will begin to see what works, what doesn't work. I will see what works and doesn't work. And my part will, will, I will hopefully improve and you will improve. And I remember he said to me one day, he said, mom, as long as by May of next year, our production has improved, then we're on the right path. If I look at it and I see the same thing that I shot in May of 2021, mm-hmm. and I'm seeing the same thing in 2022, the mom, there's a problem. <laughs> but as long as it's improving, yes, then, then we're on the right track. We have the content. 
so, you know, it's, it's just special. It is so special to see what we're creating together. Together. And we have, yeah. you know, yeah, we have these huge um, dreams and goals for, for this media company. And I may or may not be here to see the end of it. Like, I don't, I don't know what the end looks like. I, and I'm honest with him all the time. I don't, I don't know what tomorrow is. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I left my job. I'm just going, walking this on faith. And I do not know what tomorrow looks like, but I do know that we're building something and we're starting something that is going to be pretty dynamic and, and hopefully will impact people's lives. And And, I'm just glad he's like on the ride with me. Yeah. And what you do know is that you are giving it 150% and you've given it completely your heart um, and your energy to it. And so when you do that, I really believe that you are destined to do great things and greater things because of that in and of itself. Yeah. So it's awesome that you are doing it together um, and that it is a, you know, it is a, connection of a family project, right? Right, right. That's beautiful. I think that's such a beautiful thing to be able to work with your son um, yeah, it's, like that. It, it's amazing. Um, it, it, we just have these moments, you know, when we're traveling and like he might want to find a place for some great ice cream. I'm like, okay, or he needs to get the, a cool shot. And I remember in our Brooklyn um, episode, you won't be able to see him doing this. I was driving the car and I was wishing I could get a picture of him doing this, but he wanted to get a certain image. And he was like, mom, slow down so I can get this image. He wanted me to go like 15, 20 miles an hour Mm -hmm. because he needed to hang out the car window to get this video image to capture this for the Mm -hmm. show. And I remember thinking like, you'll just go to limits and extremes to get a shot. And just to watch him grow is like, it's just worth everything. You know, it's really and truly worth everything. So it, it's a, all I can say is it's a journey. The, the people that I encounter, um, just encountering you is is part of this because a previous colleague put us in contact. Right, that's right. Of this podcast that you've created. And if I wasn't doing what I was doing, we probably would have never have been put in contact. So, you know, it's the people that I come across. It's their stories. It's It's the energy that you're, that you're putting out into this life. And it's like, I just can't think of a better way to live. You know, you have to kind of figure out all the money and the financial stuff. And yeah, that stuff, you know, it's, it can keep you up at night sometimes. I'm, it's not. Oh no, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Like, yeah. Like I don't have this, this excess of money sitting around. So it's, I'm not mm-hmm. sitting pretty on a penny at all, mm-hmm. but it's, it's something about the people and their stories that, it, I don't know, it's just a powerful, um, it kind of leaves me speechless. It's just something that is just amazing and powerful. And empowering too, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. for them, I, I hope so. Because yeah, some stories aren't, uh, everyone's paths aren't easy and some people mm-hmm. have had really difficult um times and they've shared that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah but the fact that they're able to to share and all of that is it's it's pretty dope like it's it's a good thing yeah I guess I'm quoting Martha Stewart <laughs> 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 it's a good thing <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. I used to work in, at Voice of America, quick side note, when I was at Howard, I worked the zombie shift, 10 at night to eight in the morning. I worked at Voice That's of America. That's zombie, all right. Oh gosh. And I worked in what we call the bubble. And Voice of America, I had to do the sound check with the engineers for all of the reporters that were around the world that would call in to give their feed. So mm-hmm. we'd have to do this report. But if the reporters weren't calling in, you might have a night where you just get one or two feeds. So that leaves a lot of time. Mm-hmm. That's when I would just kind of sit around watching Martha Stewart late at night, some crazy time in the hour. And I just remember she would always say, it's a good thing. <laughs> so that just reminded me of her. so what's on the horizon for folk and palette bakery and for the power of food so right now we're just trying to figure out you know the best way do i just want a production facility do i want to go the brick and mortar route it's just a lot of little things going on with Mm -hmm. that but Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely it's definitely growing and we're working on it every day so folk and palette bakery is you know it's doing well um as far as the show, The Power of Food. We're launching, like I said, in a couple of weeks, we're going to launch via patreon.com. So definitely stay tuned to our um, to our announcements on that. We're on Instagram as Folk and Palette Bakery. And we're also, you can find the show, The Power of Food under my name at Tinja Young, um, The Power of Food. Um, so all of the info as far as how to watch, where to watch, all of that good stuff, you'll be able to go there and find it. And, you know, we hope you're, you're able to kind of tune in and check it out and see everything that, that we're doing. Um, and um, selfishly, can someone order food or order stuff from your bakery to taste? Do you ship? Yeah. Yes, I actually do ship. I do okay. ship so they can go on to folkandpalette.com okay. and check out all of our goodies. There is an option there. You can check out the bakery at folkandpalette.com or you can check out information regarding this, the show. You'll see the, the link to the power food as well. So everything and everything is housed right there at folkandpalette.com. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, and I may even stop by to see you on my way down to take my son back to school. So that might be an option as well too, to kind of pick up some stuff and leave him some goodies in his apartment. Well, you know, Tenja, <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your passion with us today. I mean, it, it, mean, it really means a lot to me that you would take that time um, out of your day. And, and I know that you're very busy and I know your schedule is completely booked all the time, but it really means a lot to me that you would share this time with me. And I really look forward to seeing what's, you know, next for Folk and Palette Bakery, as well as for the Power of Food. And I will be tuning in absolutely to watch. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the No Good People podcast. Want to share your story? Cool. Hit me up at nogoodpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Vera Smith Winfrey. And remember, it's always good to know good people. The No Good People podcast is co-produced by Diana Guzman Productions and So Very Vera Productions. The No Good People podcast can be streamed through Apple, Spotify, and other selected streaming services.